I weighed 300 pounds. Like I was addicted to drugs. Like I was like literally the furthest thing that you could be from an endurance athlete, right? Like, as I was sitting there in those moments in Hawaii, like I think to myself, like I did it. Like I, I this goal I that I didn't think like at a time in my life would ever be possible is possible. And I swear, if I can do it, like trust me, you can do it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat Green, Make Green podcast. This is Pat McCauley, as always. My guest this week is the very inspiring Tom Fleck. For those that have followed the show from the very beginning, you recognize Tom. I've had him on many times over the years, and it's been really cool to follow his path over the past six years from just starting out and dipping his toe into triathlon as a 240-pound dude that was just trying to, uh, you know, win what's called the Clydesdale division, which is like a kind of a joke um, in the triathlon world. It's like a category for bigger people. Uh, two, just two weekends ago, competing in the Ironman World Championship in Kona, Hawaii. Uh, if you're not familiar with the sport, that's like playing in Madison Square Garden in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Uh, that's kind of the equivalent in the sport. Um, so we talk all about his experience of that race and what it was like. Um, and we also talk about if it's worth it, right? You know, an amateur triathlete, you put in all this time, you're not collecting a check. You know, you're sacrificing time with family and all these things to get to this point and compete at this level. Uh, but it's still a hobby and we get into whether or not, you know, that's worth it. Uh, we also talk about the mind blowing abilities of the best triathletes in the world, uh, what it meant to him to represent the recovery community and show others what's possible with sobriety, um, and why he's more motivated than ever after this past experience. Um, great episode, great chat. If you're interested in triathlon, it's kind of like a triathlon nerd, uh, chat. So, you know, fair warning if you're not into triathlon at all. Uh, and yeah, a, a great convo with a good friend and a very inspiring human being. Uh, so I will let him tell the rest here without further ado, the one and only Tom Fleck. episode four is it three or four i think it must be four i'm not sure At least i think four. that we did a couple of coaches ones i think that we did three personal ones and then a couple of coaches ones at one point i don't know i think four that sounds four. About right okay four yeah yeah so am, this, I the, uh, am i the most frequent guest the most you frequent? are up there with uh i think who's my competition uh you know richie my buddy richie. oh yeah, yeah yeah the hockey player yeah yeah um, yeah, so we did, so for people that are new to Tom Fleck, so we did one, you were like one of the first 15 episodes I ever did on the show five years ago, six years ago, something like that. Yeah. We did it, uh, in Hull, Hull Mass, or was it Hull? No, no it was on that, it was Hingham, but you were on the border of Hull yeah, at the time. Yeah. In the shed. In the shed. Yep. You were just getting into triathlon, kind of. We, we were a I couple was years in. My, I was moving to Miami the following day. That's right. Yeah, the moving trucks yes. were there. Yes, that's and that right. that was the day before we moved to Miami. Right. I was involved with triathlon. It was early on in my 
career, I'll call it. Um, but it was all short course at that point. I hadn't done any long course triathlon. It was all just local sprint triathlon type stuff. And I was, I think, I don't know if I had done even a half Ironman at that point. I don't think so. I think that that all came after when we were down in Miami. Yeah. So you have gone over, what, eight years from showing up to, you know, your first like Cohasset sprint triathlon with no wetsuit and not being able to swim for the most part. I think that that was 2016. So it's now 2022. So it's only six years. Yeah. Six years. Okay. So in six years, you've gone from how, 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 uh, what was your weight back then too? Um, I would say that it was probably when I first started, I don't know, 230, 235. Yeah. It's funny when I look back at the pictures and I post them sometimes when I go from, and I, I actually post about it, chasing the Clydesdale podiums at the local race circuit yeah. and how that was always enough just to keep me hungry to want to get better. And, that, like, and that's a real thing. Like yeah, the Clydesdale. Clydesdale podium. And, and yeah. what, what, what it, it, different race organizations have different classifications. I think some are 225 plus, some are 215 plus, some are 205 plus. So it depends, but it's it's the big yeah. guy division. And I think that only local races have it, like Ironman and bigger brand races don't have that. Yeah. Everyone's just out there yeah. competing. Yeah, so six years you've gone from trying to make the podium in the Clydesdale division down at Nantasket beach. Yep. Yeah. And you just came back from Kona That's right. Ironman world championships this past week. That's right. I mean, I mean, let's get into the Kona stuff and, and, <laughs> and I want to, before we even get into it, I want to like talk about the race a little bit. Of course. Because of course. I, I watched most of it. Yeah. And, um, what, so, so here's, here's what's going through my head okay. when tell me, it's going on, right? Who are the Norwegian guys? Um, Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden. Right. So for context, right? Like I've biked with you, right? Yeah. Like in around the South Shore. Yeah. Like you're probably the best well, that cyclist Well, that I was know. one of my biggest takeaways actually from being there is, is that, and it's just like you say, like, I don't, I'll say this with humility, like. Around here locally, I'm probably one of the stronger cyclists on yeah, the social. No question There's, about of course, it. a few people that are faster than me. Everywhere you go, there's people that are faster than you, right? But for the most part, I'm a pretty strong cyclist locally. I think that that's a fair thing to say. But when you get to a place like the Ironman World Championships and you show up to a, a, an area that just has like the super high concentration of like the fittest people on earth, like literally, like when you think about it, they're some of the fittest people on earth from an endurance perspective, the fittest people on earth, right? Like yeah. you can make arguments like who's more fit, the guy that wins the CrossFit games or the guy that wins the Ironman world triathlon. Like that's a different conversation, but from a pure endurance sport perspective, I was literally like in the Mecca of the fittest people in the world. Right. So I go from being locally, like one of the guys that's like, okay, he's a good athlete to out there. And like, it was, it was probably my biggest takeaway is, is that, and this is a good thing to think about all the time, but like the people that you surround yourself with in life will create different sets of expectations of, of what you want to be and become, right? Like if you surround yourself and you think that you now belong in a class of athletes that's world-class, all of a sudden I say to myself like, okay, not only did I just qualify to be here, I deserve to be here. And me executing the race that I did, I think justified in my own mind that a little bit but my biggest takeaway is is that now that i'm at this level i want to be better at this level right Mm -hmm. and i see all these people from all around the world like 
it was insane how just how international it was. You, the, it, it's a small, sleepy town in the Big Island, Kona, Hawaii, right? And on a normal day, it's like I said, four, four days after the race was over, you walk through town, and it could have been any sleepy town on a tropical island, right? But the week leading up to the race, it was insane. Like, just throngs of people in, from all over the world. Like, you would walk down the sidewalk, and there would be groups of people, and you would overhear these conversations, and you couldn't pick out what language they were speaking. I think that 94 different countries were represented. Wow. Right? So, like, literally all over the world, like Latin America, Europe, like Asia, like everywhere you can imagine, right? So to, to be around that collection of athletes inspired me to to want to be a better athlete still like i swear to god i've never been more motivated Mm -hmm. to want to even hone the craft even more than i am right now Uh, it's it's of course like taking that energy of being super excited and super motivated and trying to do it the right way because of course like doing full two full ironman triathlons in six weeks i did Montreal one six weeks before Mm -hmm. like that takes a, a toll on the body and there needs to be some sort of actual physical recovery from that to, to go from – so you have to be able to kind of take that mentality of wanting to get better but being smart about it and not like saying, okay, I want to be smart. Like the, the let's dive in deeper and like work harder. Like the truth is is to really get better and be smarter, like I would take five or six weeks off and let my body completely recover mm-hmm. before I start to prepare for next season, right? So I'm kind of in this weird place of like super motivated. I want to get better. I've been inspired at the highest level to want to become even a better athlete, but I – need to let the body recover so it's kind of this weird spot to be in yeah so so let me ask you this right yeah you've gone from where you're you were at six years ago to where you are now yeah right yeah and as i said like cyclists best like best one i know have ever met have ever ridden with right yeah and you'll go out and you you know you'll show up to your average 70.3 or whatever and you'll be what top few in the field yeah in my age group usually in, sure yeah yeah. yeah yeah and even in the field like yeah in the field it, like it, yeah, yeah like you usually get out like yeah you know three four hundred out of the water in a 70.3 and then you pass everybody that's right and you're Ex- in the top five going in the run yeah like sure. <laughs> at least the yeah, last yeah, yeah. few ones i've fallen yeah yeah. yeah yeah so like and i and then i watch an event like kona and to see you like you know bike that course at 22 miles an hour or something yeah, like that 21 and a half 21 and a half and then these guys doing it at 26, it's, 26 it, and a half yeah. miles an hour. It's just hard for me to like, it's hard for me. Wrap to, my it's head hard around. for me to understand, honestly. Yeah. Like it, it's a different level of, of what human performance is like what these guys can do. It's unbelievable. Really? Like, and, and it's crazy because like you see them in town, it's a small town. And throughout the course of the week, like you see them around, right? Like, you literally walk down the sidewalk and there they'll go. Like, yeah, walk I past saw your you. photo with Jan. That yeah, was, yeah. That was amazing. And you look at them and you're like, wow, like that, he looks fit and lean, but like, and, and then you go watch what they do on race day and they have these like superhuman abilities. Yeah, like it, Blumenfeld is one that surprised me. Yeah. He's kind of like a bigger He's build. stocky. He gives, yeah. me, he gives me hope, actually, yeah. <laughs> as a stocky guy, just because of his build. Like, he's barrel chested, he's thick, like, yeah. but he's one of the best in the world. Like, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, to again, for people that, like, aren't familiar on this, right? So, these guys are swimming one-tenths per hundred yeah, yards, yeah. right? About one-tenths. Yeah, yeah, on average. You're you're probably swimming 130, 130s? No, on the 140s? race, it was quote 145, 150. Okay. So, and again, a good swimmer that has qualified for Ironman yeah. World Championships. Yeah, right? yeah. So, they're doing uh, one-tenths. I don't know if a good swimmer, but yeah. They're doing one-tenths yeah. per 100 yards. Yeah. They're biking at 26 miles an hour yeah 
on in like a hot climate in the hot it, it, honestly like that is probably one of the most incredible parts like yeah the conditions of the actual race were insane like yeah but but we'll get there so keep going yeah so 26 miles an hour in in the heat and yeah. then and then those top guys are getting off the bike and they're running 540s for a yeah, marathon. Yeah, a 230 marathon. It's mind-boggling. It's, it really is. Like, so do you think, like, I know, like, you know, you're, you got a job, you got a family, yeah. you know, you're not training 40 whatever hours a week like these guys yeah. do. Do you think, like, if you went all in for the next six years that you come close to that level? I don't know. I think that it's a combination of things, right? One is genetics. Like, not anyone can... They're, like, people are genetically gifted. Like, Lance Armstrong had a higher lung capacity than most people, right? Like, right. of course, he did... Everyone knows his story. But, like, there's different genetic factors that come into play. I don't think that anyone can just go all in and have a team of nutritionists, coaches, like physiotherapist and like have it be their sole purpose in life but the other thing too is like if you if you know anything about those guys like or see any of their interviews or media that they do is how driven they are to succeed and like how dedicated to their craft they actually are mm -hmm. right like i don't think either of my families i don't think either of them have kids like they live in like dormitory style buildings in norway and like their entire life is just like how fast can i go in the sport of triathlon yeah which it is which is is i mean you can see the results uh, are like there were four guys that broke the old course record on that day i thought there was like well was maybe maybe there was 10? more there was i think more. it was the top yeah. 10 like we're there was all, one guy a german well, the, guy the top 10 were all under eight uh, hours. under eight hours yeah right which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. In, in I think the top, the, four, one the to top four guys all broke the old existing course record, Obnoxious. which is insane. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that they did get good conditions. The pros had light wind. Like they start earlier in the day and the winds tend to pick up a little bit as the day goes on. So they had the best conditions because they had the lightest wind once they got out of the water. Mm -hmm. But like, it, it, and it was hot, but it's always hot. So, I mean, the conditions were good for them. So, but still like, it's still insane what they do. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. All right. So how did your day go out there? <laughs> well, I will say like, so when I think about the entire experience, there's for me, like there's the race itself. And then there's like, like the rest of the week that you spend in Hawaii. Right. It's kind of in my mind, not two separate things, but like I can talk about just the race itself, the race itself. Like I went there and I had very little expectations on myself. I had just qualified six weeks before an Ironman Montreal. So I knew that it's tough to, do a full Ironman six weeks after you do another Ironman. And that race in Montremblant was, for me, a huge buildup, right? And, and when I say buildup, it's an emotional buildup, it's a mental buildup, and it's a physical buildup, right? Because to, 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 to be confident enough to execute what I did in Montremblant, it really took mentally, like, I'm not to the level those guys are, like, mentally committed, but, like, I'm committed to a pretty high level. Like, I, I think about things that will make me a better triathlete like in the course of my day i it comes to my mind like it's a little mm -hmm. bit of a mental obsession right like it's not like i said to the level of those guys so that that's a big build you're talking about like six seven months of like thinking about this upcoming race and like it's like anything in life anytime you have a, a big event like that and you finally do it and when you it, it comes it's like christmas when you're a kid right like christmas afternoon was the worst afternoon of the entire year because mm -hmm. for the for for months you would wait for christmas as a kid mm -hmm. that mental and emotional buildup, and then the event would come and go and you're like oh like okay like there's a natural letdown that comes and like emotionally the same thing like 
part of being prepared for a full distance Ironman is the training. And part of the training to execute it properly if you have a full-time job is giving up your weekends. So there's an emotional element like missing the kids' soccer games, like not being the full dad that you want to be at times because you know that you have to get a certain training in, right? Like, So there's emotional sacrifice that goes in with it too. Um, and then, of course, the physical part of like the body and, and building the body up to, to actually go through the execution of it. So after Montremblant, when that kind of letdown on all three phases comes, there was a, a, a the period between the two races was a roller coaster for me, right? Like just like now, when I was totally motivated, the first two weeks after the race in Montremblant, I was gung ho. I wanted to start training immediately. I didn't want to let the body recover. Like I was, more, I couldn't have been more ready to go to start the training block for Kona. I, w- I probably started a little bit too fast in retrospect, but it doesn't matter. And then I remember like it started off like all all full steam ahead. And then after two weeks, I kind of crashed. I hit a wall. Like mentally, I think physically the fatigue really settled in, right? Like, and I've read some studies too that actually that's a pretty normal thing. That for the first couple of weeks after the event, you feel kind of like wired and, and you feel motivated and you feel excited. And then the physical fatigue kind of catches up with you. Mm-hmm. And there's that natural kind of reset of the body that you have to let the body kind of reset physically. So I was up and down. Like none of my training sessions in the interim between the two events were very great. Like I would get through the volume. I didn't want to do it mentally at times. Like it's the fall season. Montremblant was the last weekend of August, so basically it was the end of summer in the beginning of the fall school season, the fall sports season for the kids. Like, I didn't want to be on the five-hour bike rides. I wanted to go to my kids' soccer game. I felt like I was doing it just because I had to do it. Like mm-hmm. That normal passion I have to want to wake up and do the training, which is what I use as a gauge to... If I'm not, if whether or not I need to actually take a break, like mentally and physically, like I know that if I'm excited to wake up and do tomorrow's training, then I'm in a good place and I can keep going. But I know that if I'm dreading it and I'm doing it because I have to do it, or if there's something else that I would rather be doing, I know that it's time to maybe let off the gas a little bit and let the life balance out, right? So that in between was a roller coaster. So I knew that going in, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I had no expectations on myself. I, it was my first time at Kona, it was my first time being in that environment and, and for me like as a as a fan of triathlon and someone that is invested in the sport and is a fan of all the pros and follows it to the level that I do like just to be in that space like for me was the experience right mm-hmm. like like big football fans or baseball fans like there are certain venues that you go to and like the, the quote hallowed grounds right like Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park or wherever it may be like how cool it would be to just like walk in center field in Fenway Park like if you were a huge baseball fan right so you get to this place and like I've watched the race on TV every time the last five years right and all of a sudden like you you're all of a sudden like you see the, the swim start you see the pier like you see like you get out you fly you you fly into Kona and the, the Queen K highway is the bike course and you're like mm-hmm. you get out of the airport and you get on the Queen K highway and the moment that you get into the taxi and start to drive the seven miles it is towards town you immediately start seeing cyclists on the side of the road. And like immediately you're struck by like every single person that you see on the side of the road looks fit enough to be a pro. You're like, wait <laughs> yeah. a second, was that a pro? Wait a second, was that a pro? <laughs> and like here I am like coming off five weeks out of Montremblant, like totally exhausted. And like every single person I see could not look more fit, right? Mm-hmm. And there are. There are some people that like have been waiting for this race to happen. It's the first time it's happened in three years. Right. It was canceled the last two years because of COVID. So this mm-hmm. was the first time it actually happened in Kona for three years so some people who qualified in like 2019 have literally been like building this race for however long yeah i mean they've been thinking about it and preparing for it and i come in like kind of last minute ready to go but 
I knew that for me, I, I told myself, and it was a little bit of an out mentally, I will say too, that like if I was going to not have the best day of racing, it was going to be okay. And I kind of gave myself excuses to fail a little bit, which is not the best strategy, but I'm a human being at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And I knew that there was the possibility that it was going to blow up, right? And I was going to just have a terrible day. Like I know that for me, the biggest, the biggest question was always the run. Like I know that I can get through the swim. I know that I can get through the bike. Right. It's always going to be, okay, now I'll go run a marathon, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, it, and I will say like, in the race leading, I got there eight days early, and I did some training in the heat. And I will say, going into Montremblant too, I did a lot of heat training and heat adaptation and different things that you can do to get the body acclimated to the heat. Of course, again, in that interim period between the two races, it was cold here. Like I remember doing the long weekend ride, and I was freezing cold, thinking yeah. to myself, like my heat acclimation is is going to be gone. Like yeah. now, and it was hot here going into Tremblant. Oh, all summer long, it was yeah. super hot all yeah. summer. Like we had a hot summer, yeah. it, which was great because it, it makes you totally prepared for hot conditions. Um, so, the race itself, like, and I say this a lot to all my athletes, that the the here and now fitness like one of the reasons I, I i chose that name for the team and for the for the for the name of the outfit is because i i truly believe that like you really have to take the moments during the day to appreciate where you are and what you're doing right like i remember and this happens all the time at races but 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 there were a couple times during the day in particular that i remember and one was the swim start right so you line up with your age group in my age group was like 500 people, right? So here's 540 to 44 year old guys from literally around the globe. Every single one was as fit as a fiddle, right? So you're in this. They line you up in the crowd. Everybody swims out to between the two buoys. We tread water. That there. was that was pretty cool. It was insane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but I remember you go out there and you start to tread water and like. You're away from the crowd at that point. You can hear the MC in the background talking, and there's a little bit of excitement and buzz in the air. But, like, when you're out there treading water, you're underneath the water, you come back up, like, there's a certain calmness to it, right? And I remember at that moment, like, all of a sudden, like, I did, like, a, a slow 360 as I was sitting there treading water. And I looked around. I said, look who I am right now. I said, like, I am treading water at the World Championship for the Ironman Hawaii. Like, and I just, like, took a deep breath. I was like, this is, like, it, it was insane. Like, mm-hmm. I, I still, it's still hard to even put into words I, I had a conversation with the guy bill another guy who was there from Hingham, and we ended up spending some time together on the island and i called him a couple days ago because i wanted to see how he was doing post-race like we had kind of a shared experience and then there was another guy ted too who we spent a lot of time with out there also but but i had this conversation with bill and i said bill how are you doing he's like tom he's like it's funny because everybody keeps asking me how the experience was and it's hard to put into words mm-hmm. because it was just so special like like it was and and I completely identify with what he said like you ask me how was the race like you I could sit here and talk about it for an hour and still like it's hard to put into words like just how special it was to like throughout the course of the day right like again so the swim start the swim itself was beautiful like I, I am not a great swimmer I came in I don't even know I didn't look at what place in my age group maybe second to last in my age group on the swim not really but it could have been for like but it was beautiful. Like I was smiling underneath the water the whole time. So you, the cannon goes off. 500 people start swimming immediately in the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. So for the first 300 yards, it's just complete chaos. It's like a mosh pit in the water. Like literally, I've been in a mosh pit in the 90s at like crazy yeah. concerts. Like that's what it felt like. Like you had to swim with your arms wide and your face above the water just to keep people's arms and feet away from your face so you didn't get yeah. kicked in the so face. So this is a way larger than average field right yeah for your average yeah 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 race. sure yeah. yeah like this is a good so it's exa- even more of a mosh pit yes than normal. but like normally at a normal ironman race they have 
a more controlled start, right? They have basically, uh, it's called a starting shoot where they have five metal gates set up and you basically walk five abreast into these starting gates and every few seconds, five people will go, right? right. right? Here, there was literally 500 people treading water just right. lined up in a bunch and they shoot a cannon and everybody goes, yeah. right? So like, it was crazy. Like, you're literally swimming up the back of the person in front of you trying to not get hit in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, and it took like a few minutes just to be able to get into a swim stroke and put your face down in the water, mm-hmm. right? But the swim course itself was insanely beautiful. Like, okay, the first couple of buoys go by, you put your face down in the water, and you look underneath you. And I had swam in the course all week, so I, I, I knew. But, like, there's a coral reef underneath you yeah. with tropical fish. It's not tropical because it's not the tropics. But, like, these beautiful fish, right? And it, it's, they're with you for almost the entire – it's one giant rectangle. It's just one big long out. You take a right-hand turn. You come back, two, three buoys, make another right-hand turn, and you come all the way back, right? But the water is crystal clear. Like, you get to, as you get out towards the end of the triangle, it gets a little bit deeper, and, and eventually you can't see the bottom. But then you make the turn around the boat. Like, you come up to this boat, the body glove boat, and you can see, like, like you see in the, like, I don't know if you see pictures, but, like, you can see clearly the underside of the boat. Like, there's a guy, a scuba guy, 20 feet down, taking pictures of you, like, up from underneath. Yeah, like, yeah. it was incredible. Like, the swim itself, it was just amazing. Like, and I felt... It was also a non-wetsuit eagle swim. I had never done a full-distance Ironman without a wetsuit, ah, right? Yep. So Because the water was warm, and if it's above a certain temperature, they don't let you wear a wetsuit because you get too hot. But the wetsuit makes swimming easier because it adds buoyancy, right? And so I had never done a full-distance swim without a wetsuit. So that was a first for me, too. So my expectations for the swim were low. I, I, I just wanted to basically get through it and, and, and kind of enjoy it and, and swim smooth and steady. And that's what I did. I found a pair of feet in front of me. I swam behind one person for almost the last three quarters of the entire rectangle. And I, I got out and I, I was feeling good. So the swim itself was beautiful. Um, but I'm telling you, like, the, the, even the transition, like, you see, if you watch the race on TV, like, you see the pros go through the transition and, like, you just think like, this is insane. Like I'm running through the transition on the pier in Kona. It may be mm-hmm. like, for me, it's just the novelty of being there for the first time. But like, mm-hmm. it, there was something about the experience that was, that was just like mind blowing. So anyway, I got out of the water, I got on my bike and, uh, and I knew on my bike that, um, I had a specific goal on my bike. And, and basically my goal was to do it efficiently enough and not overdo it enough that by the time I got off my bike, I would have some shot at running, right? The, the, the run is always the most difficult part of any triathlon, especially a long course triathlon. And I knew that going into Montremblant, I had a certain amount of run volume in the buildup to that right race, right? Like there's a, there's a strategic way you build up the amount of run volume you do. So by the time you get to the race day, you know that you have the, the legs, the muscular endurance to go and run a marathon. And it was a choppy because I did Ironman Montremblant. I took like the, the, and then the, in the interim, that wavy up and down interim, I didn't have a consistent run build again. So I was kind of just banking on the run fitness that I had built throughout the course of the summertime to be able to get through the run. Mm-hmm. If you add into the fact that the, the, I get the, the biggest thing about the race and the execution of the race and the biggest concern for me going in was the weather, right? Like yeah. it was going to be windy on the bike, which sucks. Is it going to be hot? which is difficult. And when you say hot, like this is a good example. So the day before the race, you bring your bike down and put it in transition. Everyone has to put their bikes in transition the day before the race. So we, me and Bill and Ted, the two guys I had mentioned go there the day before on Friday. So the women's race was on Thursday. They clear out all those bikes Thursday morning. They start to put all the men's bikes in Thursday afternoon. So Thursday at one o'clock, we go show up there with our bikes and it's just a regular day in Hawaii. 
the regular temperature, the regular sun exposure, and you're standing there out on the pier, putting your bike in your spot in transition, and it's hot as balls. Yeah. Part of my language, yeah, but it's yeah. hot. Like you're just sweating bullets standing out there. And in the back of my mind, I think to myself, like, okay, this time tomorrow, I'm going to start to go run a marathon. Like I had been riding my bike all week in the on the bike course. And when I say bike course, I mean literally. Like it's hard to even imagine until you see it. But if you picture the side of a mountain that's literally just lava that had flowed down the mountain and eventually hardened into rock, you can literally see like the flow of the lava. And it starts down at the water and goes for miles up the side of this mountain. Mm-hmm. In a couple hundred, a thousand yards up the, the gradual slope of that mountain, they basically built the highway through the lava field, wow. right? That rings the perimeter of that side of the island, right? So, like, literally, as far as you can see in either direction, not a single, like, living piece of, like, except, like, the occasional, like, shrub that will find a way to try to grow out of the lava. So there is no shade at all. Yeah. And the, the, like, it's literally black lava just soaking up the full sun exposure, right? So I, I knew that it was going to be hot and it was going to be difficult. So my, my intention on the bike was to basically get on my bike and not ride too hard that I was going to just cook myself, right? So I love riding my bike. And I knew that once I settled in on my bike, I would be fine, right? Mm-hmm. So I got on the bike and I rode, and it's just one long out and back. There's a couple of little twisty turns when you first start, but basically you get up on the Queen K Highway, the one I'm just talking about, built into the lava fields, and you just go 50 miles out and 50 miles back, right? And at the end, you go up the hill. It's called uh, a little town called Javi, and then there's a little turnaround at the end, just basically a cone in the two-lane road, and you climb up to it, and then you come back down, and then it's rolling all the way back to town. And I kind of just did my own thing. Like for me, I, I knew that typically I'll kind of not take my time going through the aid stations on the bike because I want to keep my pace. But my goal for the day, again, was to combat the, the weather elements. So I knew that going through the aid stations every 15 miles on the bike, I would need to slow down enough to basically take the first water bottle from the lady, squeeze it all over me, take the second water bottle from the next lady, right. drink it, throw it. Like, so there's, it ends up being like, there's, there's water in the beginning, then Gatorade, then food in the middle, then Gatorade, then water in the end. And each aid station is a hundred yards long. But if you go in 20 miles an hour, it, it goes by like that. Right. So, and it's crowded too. There's other bikes that go slow. So I had to go slow enough through the aid stations where I could basically take the few bottles of water, spray it all over myself. And when it's that hot and you're that sweaty, you literally just take the bottle of water and like, like literally everywhere, like mm-hmm. just trying to cool your body core temperature down a little bit. Right. So I basically paced the bike accordingly. I also had some mechanical problems on the bike. I dropped my chain three times. Three times I had to stop, get off my bike, and put my chain back on. Wow. So that was that also doesn't... annoying. So you still did, I mean, you still, yeah, had, so I still a had a good, good average. overall that's right, bike that's right. time. So that, you passed, and that... I think you passed over 1,000 people on the bike is yeah. what I saw. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, but, yeah. but I believe you. But yeah. like, it's interesting because I feel like I paced it well, and I used heart rate and power to, to pace myself. But But at the same time, like, I go back to like the super fit athletes that you see. I remember coming back into town and it felt like the wind shifted. It felt like we had a little bit of a headwind over our shoulder on the way out. And then you kind of, the coast, the, the road goes along the coast and the coast isn't straight. It kind of bends with the shape of the island for 50 miles. So as it bent towards the end, we kind of lost the headwind. And then when you came back, you had a little bit of a tailwind to start. But then as it kind of bent back into it, I think that the wind shifted because as soon as there's one right-hand turn that you have to make back on the Queen K on the way back. And it felt like the wind was right into our face again. And it's like, okay, this 40 miles to get back to town, the wind's going to be in your face the whole time with mm-hmm. nothing to break it up, right? 
and I got and I, I I know how to ride well enough to stay well and aerodynamic enough that you just have to do the best you can. You can't overdo it. You can't overcook yourself. You can't even look at your speed. You just got to sit with it and and just accept that it's going to be what it's going to be. But I remember out like mile 90, as you can start to see like the airport in the distance and see some of the infrastructure of the town kind of on the horizon. Like all of a sudden you see these people who, again, look like super fit athletes that you could have like I could have been like, yeah, are you a professional triathlete? And they could have been like, yes or no. Like that's mm-hmm. how fit they look, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're pulling over on the shoulder, like soft pedaling their bike. And I asked one of them, I was like, are you okay? He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm just cooked. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I felt better on the second half of the bike. I, I always feel a little bit better on the second half of the bike. And like, I was like, okay, so I'm doing this right. Like it gave right. me a little bit of confidence that like, I felt good on the bike. Like, I, again, I had no idea what to expect on the run because it was, again, going to be now 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was going to be hot as can be. There was no shade on the run. So anyway, I get off so the that bike. Was a solid bike. Yeah, yeah. so I had a good bike. That. I had a good solid bike split, bike. despite the mechanicals and like despite it all. And like, it, I think that I executed it well. Like for me, overall in the day, I executed for me the, the highest level of my current level of fitness and my current level of fatigue going into the race. That I, I couldn't have been happier with the way that I executed. Yeah, yeah. Right, which brings us to the run. Right. Yeah. So I had a plan from the run, and my plan from the run was basically, again. I had to use the aid stations to try to keep my core temperature down if I was going to have any shot to get through the marathon, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an aid station. It's supposed to be every mile, but this year it was every mile and a half because they were short on volunteers. There was a two-day format. They needed twice as many volunteers. It's a different conversation, but they were short on aid stations. So instead of having it every mile, they had it every mile and a half. Mm -hmm. So my plan was is basically run to the aid station, the pace I want to run with a comfortable aerobic pace that I can run, get to the aid station, walk with intention through the aid station, taking the water, drinking the water, drinking the Gatorade, putting the ice down the kit, right? I, I would literally reach into the kiddie pool full of ice after I drank the cup of water and just grab big clumps of ice and put them down my kit. And, mm-hmm. and then the last one, ice water in the face, and then you get to the end of the aid station and you start to run again. And to my surprise, like, I didn't have any mile splits up on my watch. The only thing I had on my watch was instantaneous pace and average pace right Mm -hmm. so i said to myself and if i can run around an 8 30 and walk the aid stations my average pace for the first 20 miles it was like 850 855 hovering right there and i was like that's great i was like that's a good Mm -hmm. marathon for me pace in these conditions like if i could go so my outside goal in my mind i didn't really verbalize it or put it out there to many people but my outside goal for the day was to go under 11 hours and try to run a four-hour marathon right Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because the sun, I, every, this was my eighth full Ironman and I had finished before sundown at every single one, right? So my start time was at 7.10 in the morning. The sun went down officially on the Pacific Ocean on the horizon as you came back into town at 6.10, exactly 11 hours after I started. So my goal was just to keep my streak of finishing before the sun went down alive, right? Then, which was 11 hours. And I yeah. knew that knowing kind of what I was going to do on the bike and what I was going to do on the run, I knew that I'd have to be around four hours on the marathon to make that happen. Right. So anyway, I'm on the run and I was like, I was so surprised how good I felt on the run. Like my plan is executed to a T. I feel great between the aid stations in the way that the run course is set up. So you do an out and back in town for the first 10 K which is on Alihi Drive, which is full of spectators, full of energy, people everywhere, like mm-hmm. all of nationalities yelling at you in different languages, people, it, it couldn't have been better, right? And then you run up uh, a hill, Polani Road, and you get to the top of that hill, and you get back to the Queen K, and Silence. all of a sudden it's desolate. Like, when I say desolate, like, there is no one. Like, 
and it's these big, huge, rolling highway hills. No sun, nothing. Like, I'm sorry, no, no, shade. no shade. Like, yeah. full afternoon sun in your face. I had grabbed a wet towel out of one of the ice buckets that some of the volunteers were holding, and I literally tucked it into the, my hat and made, like, a little tent to keep it out of the sun off the back of my neck and off the mm-hmm. back of my ears. And I would take the water from the aid stations and dump it on there and cool it down or move it to the side to put ice in the back of the kit. Mm-hmm. And it, it saved my life, I swear to God. Like, so the sun was coming down from one side as you went one way on the Queen K and on the way back you turned so it was on the other side. So when I was on that side, I basically covered that side of my face with kind of the rag. Like, mm-hmm. You look like an idiot, right? But it yeah. doesn't matter. Like, There's literally no Whatever one out there. Yeah. yeah. I remember there's one little sp- the part. It's called the Energy Lab where you go down off the Queen K down towards the water, do another out and back. And I remember you kind of go, you get turned around, right? So instead of rearranging the towel on my head, I just ran the few minutes with the sun on that side of my face. And I remember as soon as I didn't have the towel on that side of my neck, I could feel how hot the sun was just for those few minutes. Like it was insane, right? And like being out on the Queen K at the run, like so you do the first 10K, you get up on the Queen K, and then you're going out towards the energy lab, which is the turnaround. And it's probably another, I think it's another, I don't know, five six miles seven miles till you get out there right Mm -hmm. maybe five or six because then it's five or six back but anyway it doesn't matter like mile like 15 16 you go down into the energy lab and then there's a few miles in there you come back in the last 10k is back to town but once you get up on the queen k and you look and you can see all you can see in front of you is the horizon of these big hills that you have to go up and this line of people just in one shoulder like as Mm -hmm. far as the eye can see like just in the full afternoon sun, some people walking, some people running, like carnage. Like yeah. again, like <laughs> yeah. people that you think would be like these incredible athletes. Oh, yeah. Like they, if I lined up against them in a race, like if I went and did a turkey trot against this guy, he would beat me by like five minutes, right? Yeah. If I lined up and did a marathon or anything with him, like you would think like, wow, this guy would smoke me in a race, right? And they're at mile three or four of the run, yeah. and they're walking like they're mm-hmm. about to like keel over and die, like guys from teams that I know that are like high performing triathlon teams that like are just walking up the side yeah. of the road and you're like, wow, like that. And, and meanwhile, I, like I'm running like not a blistering fast pace, but like my eight thirty pace between the eight stations, I was like, okay, I feel good. Right. Yeah. So I get down to, um, mile like 20 <laughs> or 21 down in the energy guy before you turn around. And for three aid stations in a row, they'd run out of ice. Right. And, and I think like, I don't know if it was mentally or maybe it was actually physically, but my plan cracked. I probably also started to get tired, right? So I got out of the energy lab, get back in the Queen K, start to run back towards town, the last 10K. And I remember being between aid stations. And all of a sudden, like, out of nowhere, I was like, I'm so hot. I have to walk for a minute. And it was the first time at mile, like, 21 that I had walked between the aid stations, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. I was like, I'm cooked. And all of a sudden, it's, it's amazing how quickly in your mind you can just to say to yourself, like, you know what? I don't care about 11 hours. I don't care about going sub four. Yeah. I just want to finish. Like if I have to, I'll walk to the finish line. And all of a sudden, like I start doing new math in my head. Like, okay, if I have five miles left and I can walk 15 minute miles and I've been out here for like whatever the time was, like I look at my watch, what time is it? Like, can I walk and still get there by, Mm -hmm. by 11 hours? Right. And like the, 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 the equation changes like as you, as when you get into that dark place, right? Like, you just want to kind of get through it and get to the finish. And I knew at that point, like, the worst case scenario is I could have walked to the finish line, yeah. right? I, I knew that, like, I wasn't going to be one of these it's guys. Like, there was man. literally yeah. people on the side of the road. Like, I kid you not. Like, laid out, like, on the shoulder of the road. Like, 
I remember one guy was laying on the side of the road and a guy that was driving down into the energy lab with the yellow lights on, I think to deliver more ice to the aid station down there, just drives by. He doesn't even slow down. I was like, and, and I was running past. I was like, are you guys going to call this in? Like the kid looked like he was dead. Like yeah. I, I didn't think so because I would have stopped and helped. But like there was just people everywhere like running in each direction. And here's this guy just like laying on the hot yeah. shoulder of the road. You're like, it's it was carnage. All over the place. Yeah. yeah. I see another guy just like projectile puking on the side of the road. Like it's like, like... All over the place. Like, it, it was incredible to see the, just how damaging that can be to to people's athletic performance that mm-hmm. normally are just incredible athletes, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I get to this point on the highway where all of a sudden I change my entire projections of what I think I want to do. And, uh, and I get to the next aid station and, like, there's – at this point, like, there's a lot of people kind of in the same boat as I am. Mile 20 of an Ironman marathon can be a lonely place, right? Like, everybody's hurting. No one is feeling sprightly. So I get to the next aid station, and they had ice. And I was like, ah, ice. So I take it again, and I just put it in my kit. I load it up, right? Down the back, down the front, ice water on the face. And it totally brought me back to life. So I got to the end of the aid station, and I said, okay, I'm going to run again. And if you look at my splits, you can see I picked up right where I had left off. And, and, like, all of a sudden, like, you get to mile 22, 23, you start to feel a little bit better because the ice or I had kind of been re-energized. And then the people start to kind of come more and more, too, as you get closer mm-hmm. to town, right? Like, the closer you get to town, the more and more people are on the side of the road. Till eventually, like, you get into town, and it turns into, like, it goes from no people, people, more, 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 until, like, it's, like, the best finish line in the entire world. Like, mm-hmm. it, it builds from nothing to, like, the best in the world in the matter of, like, a mile and a half, right? Mm-hmm. And not to mention, at that point, it's mostly downhill, too. You got to go down kind of the hills you, you had to go up to get up onto the Queen K. And it was just, like, and, and I knew that my time, <laughs> it's funny, because I had my, my run time on my watch. And I remember coming down the last hill. And I was thinking, I was at like 3.58. And I was like, fuck. I was like, I wanted to break four hours again on the marathon. Because Montremblant was the first time I had broken yeah. four hours in the Ironman marathon. And I was like, if I can do it at Kona, that would be pretty epic, right? And I think ultimately I ran a 4.01. Mm-hmm. But I remember like coming into the neighborhoods like as you came into town and being like three minutes left, two minutes left. I was like, ah, I was so close to having it. And in the end, like you, I was running downhill and I was trying to turn my legs over as fast as I could, running like a 7.15 down the, down the hill as fast as I could, as fast as my little legs would take me down the hill. But in the end, it still wasn't enough, right? Yeah. But it, it didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter. Like, the day was what it was. And I just, it was incredible. The experience, the race itself was unbelievable just to, to be able to do it. And I will say, like I mentioned the moment I took during the swim to, to say that, but I remember another moment that's that it, it, i can remember clearly in my mind is after you do the big climb up to the little town javi and you turn around so as you come around to that side of the island the it turns from basically lava rock into kind of more of a lush greenery it, it, it's crazy like the the island itself is just two giant volcanoes right and the weather systems that come from the different directions of the island north south east and west have like a direct impact on the vegetation and climate on different parts of the island. Like you can go from like this barren wasteland, like you could literally be on Mars if Mars is black, into like this kind of lush area, right? In that end of the course, it's a little more green and a little more lush. So after I did the turn, I start to come down the hill and I remember sitting up coming out of the aero bars and looking around and like, here's this giant lush hillside that is the slope of a volcano that disappears into the clouds on my left-hand side. The Pacific Ocean is blue as it is in my dreams, right? On my right-hand side. And I think to myself, I'm like, again, I smiled. I literally laughed out loud. I was like, look at where I am. I was like, I am riding my bike in Hawaii. Like, 
it blew my mind. Like I, mm-hmm. I, it really did. And like, I, I had to laugh and like it, the same thing happened to me in St. George last year when I did the 70.3 world championship there. Like it's just such a beautiful place that like at a certain point you have to stop and look around and say to yourself, like, look where I am. Like I'm riding my bike, like in one of the most beautiful places, like in a place that you could never imagine riding your mm-hmm. bike. Like it's just wild. I, yeah. I swear to God. So anyway, I finished the race. Everybody's happy. Every it, it was incredible. The whole experience, like like any Iron Man, like it's hard. Like you, you, you like the the biggest thing I will say the the hardest thing that I had to deal with was I got for the first time like my feet were on fire on the bike, and, and when you think about it, like you basically say to yourself, okay, I'm going to get out of the water, put on socks. But as soon as you start to sweat and put water all over yourself, okay, I'm going to ride my bike for five hours and I'm going to run a marathon in soaking wet socks. Yeah. Right. Right? Like my feet were on fire. Like the blisters that I had on my feet for the days after the race, that was the thing I feel like that took the longest to recover. Like how sensitive my feet were and the blisters that were on my feet to like, it it was so hot and wet. It's weird. It had never really happened before, like during a full distance Ironman. And like, different races almost all the races i employ the same strategy of just basically dousing myself with water in an attempt to keep my body temperature regulated right Mm -hmm. but for some reason like even on the bike i remember being at like mile 65 or 70 like my feet felt like they were on fire like literally on fire like i had to like take my foot out of the unclip from the pedal and just like shake my foot out i remember the three times i had to stop to take my chain and put my chain back on I was like, wow, this feels amazing on my feet that I'm not clipped in and turning those pedals over. Like, just to give them that, like, mm-hmm. one or two minute respite from, like, being in that same, like, pedaling motion. Like, but anyway, that was just a, one of the things I experienced. So, but the race was awesome. Like, I, I, I'm going to go back and do it again. And I do feel that I can still do better on that course. Like, yeah. I, I do think that, like, with a proper build and with, like, a little bit higher level of fitness and, and having some of the mechanical issues go away, like I'm, I'm, I want to go back someday, and I want to do it again, and I want to do it better. Yeah, for for sure. Yeah. So that was the actual that's race awesome. experience, right? That's awesome. Yeah, it, it was so, incredible. So that that's awesome. So so you, it was this is a total triathlon nerd podcast. Yeah. Like, I'm just geeking, geeking out totally <laughs> yeah, I on trial. I know. No, no, that was a good recap. Um, so 2020, we sat down. And you had this goal, yeah, of a making Ironman World Championships, but you were going into Ironman Texas at the time, as I recall, yeah, yeah. and you had this goal of making Ironman World Championships yeah. to honor your brother, yeah, and also be, you know, a show people what's possible in the sobriety community of as course, well, of course, and you've now done that, yeah. I mean, what what does that mean to you? Well, this is the, like, there's, for me, it's funny because I remember being in, like, the morning of the race, like, there's people everywhere and it's kind of chaotic and, like, I, I see one volunteer and I ask him, I was like, they, they had Sharpies out because they were doing, I don't know what they were doing with Sharpies, writing numbers on swim caps, but I'm just sitting in one of the starting corrals and I look over on the other side of the fence and he's there with his table and I say, can I borrow that Sharpie? So I wrote my brother's initials on my hand, right? Like, he's always on my mind. So, I, I, like... As far as like, of course, I raced for 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 him, but like also, I will say, when I when I say I I made a post about this while I was out there, like Iron Man has a clever bit of marketing about anything is possible, right? And I've said this, I've had this conversation with a few people since I've gotten back, because again, like people will ask me like, how was the race? <laughs> and like you're like, okay, like give me an hour of your time, and I'll tell you how the race was. Like, but the the truth is, is like 
this little bit of the, the saying, anything is possible. What I say to them is like, I, I give them the brief recap of how the race was. And they're like, yeah, it was so incredible. We followed you. We watched you. It was so cool to know someone was there. You did so amazing. It's so inspiring, blah, blah, blah. I could never do that is what they always finish with. And, and the truth is, as I look at them, I say, I, ha I hate when people say that to me because everybody says it to me, right? Like, I don't think I could ever do that. But the truth is, is like, and, and for me, this is the craziest part. Like, I, I think I might have said this to you before. Like, if there was a senior superlative in high school for the good old Hull High School Class 2000 yearbook, a person least likely to be an endurance athlete, it would be Tom Fleck, mm -hmm. right? I weighed 300 pounds. Like, I was addicted to drugs. Like, I was, like, literally the furthest thing that you could be from an endurance athlete, right? So for people to say, like, it was incredible, but I could never do that, right? Like, I, I think the biggest thing that's happened to me, and, and it's not just the recovery community, I think it should be everyone, right? Like, of course, like, I have a soft spot for the, for the, for the recovery community because I'm a longtime member of it. But, like, I think that for anyone that's out there, like, th this limiting mindset of what they think they can and can't do, to me, is just total bullshit. Like, I swear to God, like... I was I was texting with a guy today and he I was like my greatest asset my greatest strength is just continuing to show up I swear to God like if you have a goal and you show up for the necessary action it takes to accomplish that goal 99% of the time over a long enough timeline you'll accomplish that goal mm -hmm. that's how simple it is like I don't care what it is like if you want to be a lawyer and you show up to the necessary action to fulfill that goal sign up for class go to class study take the test like just show up like put in the effort, be driven and do it. And you can do like literally anything. And like, I swear to God, like as I was sitting there in those moments in Hawaii, like I think to myself, like I did it. Like I, I this goal I, that I didn't think like at a time in my life would ever be possible is possible. And I swear if I can do it, like, trust me, you can do it. Like tell yourself you can do it. Find someone to help you create the path to do it and show up to take the necessary actions to do it, and you can do it. That's how simple mm -hmm. it is. I swear to God. Like, and, like, I just think that it, it in, in anything in life, like, that's one of the reasons I love the sport. Like, it's, I have all kinds of hot takes about the whole week, but, like, another thing that I've thought about is, like, people locally kind of see me and see what I do, and they probably think, yeah, he's probably a little bit of a weirdo. Like, he's obsessed with it. He's deep into it. Like, and I think to myself, like, I like I, I, I and I get that, like, and I think to myself, like, am I a weirdo? Like, am I too deep into it? Like, should I like chill out? Or like, <laughs> but then you go to a place like that, and it's just like, oh wow, like I'm just totally like normal. Like yeah. everybody here is like committed to the same level, if not to a higher level, than I am. And, and it's a refreshing thing to see, right? Like, it, it's not such a crazy thing. But the the point being is, is that like, I I feel like that. The, the discipline and structure that I, I employ to do what I've done to accomplish that goal, I can now take that and basically apply that in anything that I do in my day-to-day -day life to accomplish a goal that I want to set out to do, right? Like, if I, it, like, whether it's to be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good friend, be a good member of the recovery community, you know what I mean? Like, be of service, like, you name it. Like, all you have to do is, is show up, like, and take the necessary action day by day to do what you want to do. And, and that's what I try to do, like... I, the same thing for my like to do i guess like the biggest thing is is um other than being a triathlete like of course the biggest things in my life is being a good dad and a good husband right and like i in that's kind of uh uh 
an oxymoron <laughs> no, i don't know what the right word is Con- contrarian because like it's such a it's a hobby that demands a ton of time right and yeah, it'll yeah, yeah. take you away from from those tasks that make you a good dad like not showing up to the kids soccer game on a saturday it's hard for me to say like that makes me a good dad right yeah, yeah. but the truth is is like and i uh, there's a little uh excerpt that i shared on the group text one day about uh rich roll and he does a little monologue about um how uh, balance is a I don't know what the word he uses is balance is a yeah, it's mirage. Not, it's not a real thing. Yeah, it's not real. Yeah, it's not a- achievable. A- yes, and yeah. the truth is, is like I really believe this is, is that when I find a way to lean into my passion, it makes me the best version of myself, right? And if I want to be the best version of myself for my kids or for my wife or for my friends or for my customers, whoever it may be. I have to be engaged to be searching for the best version of myself, right? And for me, right now at this particular phase of my life, like I feel strongly that I want to be even a better athlete. Like eventually, like the tides will turn and like it will come and go. But like for right now, and like just what I uh, I plan to do, I know that the best version of myself is being able to to be the person that that I want to be, right? And it's funny because again, like when you're in the recovery community and you don't think of yourself as like anyone that is inspiring to people or anyone that like someone that looks up to, or like, trust me, like part of being an alcoholic or drug addict is like that lack of self-worth, right? Like some of the underlying causes and conditions of the actual alcoholism is that lack of self-worth. So to go from that to like this people, like people coming up to you like all over the place saying, wow, like you're inspiring to me. Oh, wow. Like it's so cool. You do that. Or like, wow, you're a great role model. Like to me, it's still like, yeah, like sometimes I don't believe it so much. I just, you don't know how to react in some moments. And, but the truth is, is like, I suppose that that is true. Like that there are probably people that have been inspired, but like, and that's great. Like if that's one way that I can be of service to the, to the general public out there, then that's great. And I do think that like, if you want to, and it also comes back to health, right? Like one of the eat green, make green. Like when you talk about what, why you do what you do, it's to inspire people to want to be healthier and live a better mm-hmm. life, right? And, and I guess that this path or this particular avenue is one way that I've found that that I'm able to do that, and I've kind of embraced it to a high level. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you ever think? I mean, I'm sure you do, at some times, and I do as well. With now, like the, not as much time as you put into it, but. You know, I put daily time into yeah. it. It's like, do you ever think like, like what, what the hell am I doing? Like, is this worth it? And now having been to like the, you know, top race in the sport, like, do you, do you feel it's, it's worth the investment you know, 20, of time? Yeah. The yeah, 20 yeah. hours a week. It is an investment of time. And trust me, like, <laughs> how do you, like, how do you, how do you look at it now? Being, being, you've been to that race that everybody tries to get to. Like, do you view all this time you've put in, in the time you will likely over the next five, ten years? Like, do you feel that will be worth it to you at the end of the day? (laughs) That's a heavy question. Well, it's funny because after Montremblant. Like I said, in that period between the races, there was that two weeks after the race where I was highly motivated. I was excited to get ready for Kona. And then I kind of hit that wall and I didn't want to do the training, right? And if you would ask me that question at that moment, like I had a conversation with my dad. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm all done. I was like, I think after this race, I'm going to sell my bikes. I'm going to buy a boat. I'm going to get into boating <laughs> next summer. Like I'm done. Like I'm yeah. over it, right? Because the, the other like side of that coin is, right? 
whatever. What do you usually? Are you training like thirty hours a week? No, no, not even. No, in, in the high, like in the big weeks, it was twenty. Like on average, yeah. throughout the course of the year, it's probably between twelve and fifteen. Okay, so we'll call it like let's call it fifteen. Right? Sure, sure. If you took in, that's just training, right? Yeah. Then you have like driving to where you're yeah, training. Yeah. Your, and bike shops, yeah, you know, yeah. so uh, let's call uh, it 20 hours of, a week. Of course. Right? Yeah. If you took that 20 hours, right, and that same dedication, right, and you chose to apply it to something else, you know, yeah. like a business or uh, more time with the kids or, yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, of course, you, I think yeah. about it all the time. Yeah, but the I truth, do too. But the truth is too. this, like, so it's interesting because me and this guy, Bill, who we kind of are periphery acquaintances. He mm-hmm. swims at the Y at the Masters program. I see him around town. I've ridden my bike with him a half a dozen times. He's 10 years old than I am. He's retired. He lives a different life than me. His kids are out of the house and in college. He's right. just he's a different time. stage yeah. in his life, right? But he's a friendly guy, and we know each other. And, like, we friendly and, like... But, and then you get to the run course at mile 20 in Kona, Hawaii, and you, and you approach each other. And there's something about the camaraderie that's built in that moment. Like, we just didn't say a word. We just went up and hugged each other. Mm-hmm. Gave us each other the biggest words of encouragement that we could formulate at that time. And off we went, right? Mm-hmm. And I, Bill is the one I called after the event. And I had the conversation with him. And he's the one that said, you can't explain it. Because, like, you say, how was it? Someone asked you. And it's hard to put into words. Like, you say epic. But that doesn't describe it, right? Like, and it's funny. Because I think of what, like, so I ask myself, if I didn't put my time into this, like, I, I do feel that you have to have some sort of hobby or passion in life. Like, I, and I feel like that there's just such a connection that's made when you put yourself and test yourself physically and you do it with people that you know and the bonds that you can form through that. Like I use the example of being on the run course. Like, But there's other guys that we train with and like we've crossed the finish line minutes apart and like hugged each other in tears, right? Like, mm-hmm. And I've been on other trips with guys that are my age that you go and th- there's nothing against these other guys and what they do. But like, if you go on a fishing trip with a bunch of dudes, if you go to wherever you want to say, right, scuba diving, yeah, skiing yeah. for a weekend, like, yeah, you, you might, you, yeah, you go hang out for a weekend <laughs> yeah. and you go partake in whatever activity it's yeah, going to be. You might be drunk and be like, I love you, man. But whatever but it is, like, like, even if you went with like yeah. five sober guys, right. And you went yeah. skiing, like, you, it's okay. Like, cool. Like it's fun. Skiing is a really fun. It's a blast. Like you have a great time. Right. Yeah. But there's for me something about the draw of, of testing yourself and doing it with people that you know and prepare with. And like, it's not just the event you end up doing it with. Like you, you spend time training with people. Like you, you invest in each other's success in these moments and then you participate in the moments with them. Right. Mm. So when you say, is it worth it? Like, I think that it is worth it because like, I, I think that like I say, like when I can invest in somebody else's success like that, when I invest in somebody else's success to that level and, and participate emotionally in somebody else's life that teaches me and enables me how to do that with everybody else. Like with whether it's my kids, whether it's with my wife, whether it's with other friends that I, I consider close friends or parents or siblings, it, it teaches you something other than like just being like, an acquaintance that like has this shared interest that you don't really ever get to that place with. Right. Like, yeah, I, I can't remember a finish line that I've crossed and didn't have some sort of emotional reaction to. Right. Like I, <laughs> the morning of the race, Jess was out there with me. The girls didn't go. It was just me and Jess. So I'm getting ready to swim. I woke up early, went to transition early, 4:30. I wasn't going off till seven ten, So I knew I would see Jess somewhere 
along the starting shoot to get my final goodbye, good luck, kiss on the cheek, right? So I'm gonna, I'll start to cry right now. Like we, I walk out and I see her, and I see her, and like all of a sudden we walk towards each other, and we both just start crying immediately, right? And like we're both criers, both emotional people by nature, but like th- there's something about being in that moment that like you don't. I, I, I have to speak for myself. I don't get that from activities that aren't racing and participating in this particular sport. And I think that that's why it calls to me, right? And it's not for everyone because it's just not. Like some people don't. And the other thing is, is like, I don't know. Everyone has different hobbies in life that they're drawn to for different reasons. And I don't know why, but like, I'm just drawn to it, right? Like I want to do it and I want to do it more. Like I, I say this all the time too, that it's not necessarily that moment of being at the race that, that I really love. Like, yes, it was an incredible experience. Yes, it, it was like lifetime moment, right? But the truth is, is like what I really love is the day-to-day structure of it, right? And I go back to the idea like if I'm excited to wake up and do tomorrow's training, I know that I'm doing it right. And right now coming off the race, like I'm, I, I still have one more race to go. We're going next week to St. George again. Oh, nice. I do, didn't know that. Yeah, we're yeah. flying. There's seven of us from here and now oh, nice. that are all flying to St. George on Wednesday to do the half distance world championships, right? Nice. So like I, I think about the um, – I think about – tomorrow's training and right so i still have another week of training before the actual off season comes right and i being motivated and i'm still in that two-week honeymoon post iron man before the real two-week fatigue block i never want to do this again settles in which will settle in right race week will be right in the middle of that right but it's the last race of the season so i am planning to take like a legitimate break and let my body recover and just doing like light unstructured activity whether whatever it might be right but like I, I, I'm more motivated than ever. And right now, I'm excited to wake up. Like I, in my mind, I know what tomorrow's training is. Like I already know tomorrow's workout in my mind. I have my stuff set up in my mind. That, like everything that's charged, I know right now that needs to be ready for the tomorrow's training is ready to go. Like I'm excited to train tomorrow, and that's for me. Like speaks more to why is not more, but as much as why I enjoy the sport is as I do being able to go to these amazing locations and events. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that daily structure in 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 I don't know, purpose is too big of a word, but the daily structure it adds into my life. And I do think too, like we haven't talked about like the actual benefits of like having a hobby that is actually healthy, mm-hmm. right? Like daily movement and like community of like-minded people and like the necess- like to, to be able to, to fuel your body properly and healthily is also part of it, which if you want to operate at that level, you also have to be able to introduce that into the equation, right? So like it also makes me do all those things too, right? Which mm-hmm. is benefits too, like, I say it all the time, like, I want to give myself, I think I said this on the first one we did, I, I want to give myself the the highest odds to be around in my kid's life for as long as I can. And I feel like that if you pursue a hobby that includes, dictates that you live a healthy lifestyle, then your odds of that probably increase, right? So so when you say, is it worth it? I think it is worth it. Yeah. I, I do. I, I don't want a hobby that's going to, the like and, and this is just for me like everyone can choose their own hobbies like it, it, trust me I, I get that but for me it is worth it and it is a commitment and like there is balance to it too like you can't just train 15 90 hours a week 20 hours a week and just not be a dad ever like the off season is going to come and like i want to coach my daughter's basketball team like I say this all the time. I think it makes me a better dad. Like there are certain Saturdays and Sundays throughout those big training blocks that inevitably you just can't do everything. But but I do think that in the long term, and I think my kids will attest to this, like I think that I'm a pretty good dad, right? Like my kids can talk to me like I'm a loving guy. Like 
they come from a loving home. Like most kids, not most kids, but like some kids and some families, not all kids come from a loving home. People have Mm -hmm. messed up situations at home. But I say it to Jess all the time. Like sometimes you doubt your, your, your ability as a parent when stuff is kind of going crazy. And I say to her and I say to myself all the time, like Jess, we're doing a good job. Like they come from a loving home. Like they come from a loving, supportive home. Like the hard stuff that they're going through is going to be okay because they know that we have their back and we'll help them get through it. And like, try, like, so I, I do think that like the alternative, like the alternative for me is very simple. Like the alternative for me is to, to not have the loving home. I, I take it to the opposite end of the spectrum, but like going back to the recovery community, like people that were in my position at certain points in my life die. Like I, I don't have to look past my own brother to know that like not everyone is as lucky as I am to be able to do what I do. Right. And I will say one of the best experiences about the whole Hawaiian adventure was on the last morning there, I went to an AA meeting, right? And it's just like on the side of this, on the coast of Hawaii, outside at 7 a.m., the sun is coming up over the side of the volcano. You're literally sitting in this old historic church grass behind the church. The Pacific Ocean, the waves are breaking, just like perfect four-foot waves breaking every few seconds. And you just sit there with a group of people. Like I could talk an hour just about like the recovery community, like, and how amazing of an experience that is. And, and like, I didn't raise my hand and talk at this meeting. I wanted to, but I didn't because I was having a hard time. Just like, I swear to God, I sat down in that meeting after being just emotionally and physically exhausted from having just done the race. And it, like, I had my sunglasses on. I was drinking my coffee. It was seven in the morning, and I just started to cry. Right, like almost the entire time, I had a hard time to not like hold back my emotions. Right, but if I had the capacity to raise my hand and not sound like a blubbering idiot, like, cause I was emotional. Like what I, what I would have said in that moment was like, it's amazing to me. The recovery community will never cease to amaze me. Like you can travel 7,000 miles from home and these people will raise their hand and speak. And it's like, they know who I am. Like no one knows me better than a complete group of 20 strangers sitting outside a church in Hawaii along the Pacific ocean like, no one knows me better than this group of strangers. Like, I could travel 7,000 miles, and, like, every single person could probably identify with every feeling I would talk about. Like, it's just an amazing community to be a part of. Like, that experience, the whole week was full of, like, lifelong experiences. It was it was insane. It was, like, one day after another. Like, one day we went snorkeling with the manta rays, which was an incredible experience. Like, these 10-foot-wide manta rays that were literally this far from our face like insane right like i got a tattoo a polynesian tattoo from a guy who had been doing (laughs) tattoos in his family for he said eight generations had like a a native guy from the islands che the guy was the man like he's like yeah i asked him i said do they still exist that they do the tattoos where they tap the thing and he's like yeah I was like, oh, I wanted to do one of those. And he's like, he looked at me. He's like, no. He's like, that's like a spiritual ceremony. He's like, that's just not for anyone. I said, okay. He's like, my family's been tattooing for seven generations. Uh, he said like 800 years. And he's like, he's like just that experience alone for me was like super cool, right? Like to, to, to take home a souvenir like that was just an incredible experience. But like driving to the top of a volcano, like the, 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 the island itself, just to explore the island itself, I felt like it was amazing. Like you start in the town, Kona, down at sea level, you drive 90 minutes up the side of the high, up the side of this mountain, and you drive through the clouds to the top, and you go from sea level at zero feet to 13,000 feet at the top of the mountain, right? Like, and it's tough to even put into perspective what that is, but like Mount Washington, I think is 6,700 feet of elevation, right? right? So imagine doing that twice, right? right? Straight up in 90 minutes, like it was wild. Like, it, like we, me and Jess went up there. 
one night and she got a little bit scared and she wanted me to turn around but we were trying to go up there and watch the sunset at nighttime and, and we got up there and it was just like this incredible experience we get up there like the sun sets like it, it literally sets on the cloud cover because you're above the clouds and there was clouds this particular day so the sun would come down and you'd see it on the horizon and then it's a big uh there's like seven or eight observatories college not college but uh i don't know who actually owns them but uh what are they called? Observatory, right? Where they look yeah, at the stars, right? Yeah. 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 But yeah. like all the universities lease time, NASA leases time from them. Yeah. So it's like some of the best stargazing in the world, right? So we, we drive down the access road to where the parking lot is because they kick you out of the top after dark. And we park there and we put the roof back on the Jeep. We had rented a Jeep, so we put the soft top back and we brought some food with us. And we sat there and had a picnic with, and like sat there and looked at the stars. Like it was yeah. just like one incredible experience after another. Like, yeah, it was, it was the whole thing was unbelievable. I, I swear. Yeah. So it, it was All just right, one so of those things that like recharges your batteries in yeah. life. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. And, is it, and like, so you tell me, yeah, is, yeah, is it worth yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Well, what you said resonated with me on the, the part that's worth it. Um, not only like the camaraderie piece, but just the, like for me, right. The last one I did was, uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. And, you know, it was this long walk down to the beach start, right? Yeah. And sun's rising, you know, you're walk you don't have your phone, you know, it's like I'm alone. Like I didn't know anybody out yeah. there, so I'm just walking alone. And I'm sitting on the beach, you know, waiting for everything to start. You know, and other people are sitting, hanging around, whatever. And you're just watching the sunset, you yeah. know? And it's rare that I don't have my phone of and course. I'm and nobody else is there that I know and you know, nobody's bothering me and I can sit there and watch a sunrise. And then, yeah, to your point, like, you know, you're in the starting shoot and you, you know, I see Courtney, right? And it's that like deeper connection yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm getting emotional now myself, <laughs> but it's like, just for me, it's just like, I'm so grateful to be there. Yeah. I, I can identify and, with, with the emotion. And, yeah. I can't, I can't even put it into words, but just how grateful I am to be healthy yeah. enough to do it. Yeah. I agree. So I, I would say, and I've is, learned so, that. So I ask you, is, it, is it worth that. it? Yeah, well, well, I, I question it, but but hearing you say that in like knowing my experiences and every time I get to a start line and I'm looking up at the sky and just saying thank you yeah yeah you know and it's just like wow like it's wild yeah it really is and, yeah. and and like for me that attitude and that perspective is so important to me like to always be able to come back to that in those moments like yeah. it makes the rest of the day like it doesn't matter like yeah it, like it, it doesn't matter like the numbers on the clock at the end of the day don't matter like the day before the race i posted on my stories like the note that delia had sent me mm. about wishing me luck and like that's all that matters is like how proud she is of me, right? Like yeah. the number at the clock going under 11 hours, going under four hours on the marathon, finish before a dog, like none of that shit matters. Like the, the, the message of her texting me the day before of how proud she was of me. Like for me, that's what matters, right? Like, yeah, it reminds you what's important in life too. When you get to those moments where you're so grateful, yeah. you're like, like this is what matters. Like, like you know, there, there's Courtney, there's Jess, there's here's my health. You know, here's here I'm out in nature. Like, what an amazing place right. we live in. Like, it just all comes back to like what's actually important. And I, I, I don't. 
you know, maybe I've got that a little bit in like some, some of the trail marathons and stuff yeah. I do when you're in a tough spot going yeah, up a mountain yeah. or something and, and it kind of hits you how lucky you are. But yeah, to, hearing you say that, I think it, it, that that's like my, but that's what why I, I enjoy it. Right. And for me and for you, it sounds that that the, the sport is a mechanism to, to bring me to those moments, right? Yes. And to give me that perspective. And like, when I say, is, is it worth it? And is the commitment and the investment that it takes worth it? Like, for me, that is worth it. Like, that, what you just described, is mm. worth it. Like, I swear to God, like, sitting down and having this conversation, it becomes worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in the end. But, but like anything in life, there's this balance to it, right? Like you say, you have to let it kind of find its own ebbs and flows. And I always use just my natural excitement, and I've said it a couple times, like, I can tell pretty easily whether or not like I'm overdoing it because if I'm overdoing it, I start to not want to do it. Right. So uh, at those moments, I know it's time to, to, to let off the gas a little bit. And and I think that's also important to keep that perspective too. Yeah. So, well, we got to wrap this up, dude. I know you're, you're, How be- long you're, be- you're bedtime. So we're going, we've been going hour 10. I told you, I told you, you. <laughs> just get me going. I'll, I'll, I'll ramble on for an hour, but there was something else I wanted to talk about. Oh yeah. You just said it. And it actually, it, it reminded me. So, Another thing that I that I did that to help me keep that perspective from for this experience is is that I had the opportunity to to use this entire trip and also Boston. I'm going to run Boston Marathon in April, but I'll tell the story as briefly as I can because I know we're running out of time. So I did a I've been in construction my entire adult life too, right? So we did a job for a client who. A young family and one of their daughters had a catastrophic spinal cord injury at birth, right? So she was paralyzed. I don't know the technical term because there's technicalities how paralyzed they are and how much movement they are. But she's in a wheelchair, right? And she has limited motion in her arms and can't use her legs, right? Harper. She's a young girl. She's as old as Delia. I think she's 11, right? So we got to a construction job to rebuild this home that they bought and make it um, accessible for her. And her mom's a big advocate in the space of inclusiveness in making the world in general a place inclusive for people that are in that position, right? And when you talk about being at a star line and being healthy enough to be able to be there and how that fills your heart with gratitude, when you said that, it made me think of this and how I was able to, in the back of my mind throughout the entire trip, to keep that perspective. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to raise funds. Her her mother, Dawn, has started a charity called the Play Brigade, and I am raising money to help the play brigade and what they do is they basically create outdoor spaces for people with disabilities right because and again it's for me so easy to identify with like when you talk about is it worth it right like for me to be outside amongst my peers is 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 really why i do it right like we said the training being with your friends like creating a community and to 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 enable people that don't normally have that through fundraising efforts to build spaces for them, whether it's playgrounds or different spaces that they can be outside and be amongst their peers that they normally wouldn't be able to do is, is something that was important to me too throughout this process. Right? So I'm going to plug the play brigade in my fundraising effort right now. I don't know if you can put the link yeah. for my, for my donation Absolutely. page in, yeah, in yeah. your show notes, but but, and, but and, under one condition though, what's you, that? you have to, you have to go sub, three, <laughs> <laughs> you have to go sub three twenty. No, three ten. Sub 310? 310 is the qualifying time <laughs> to run Boston again. 
So I always told myself right, I so wasn't going to so run Boston. I wasn't going to run Boston until I could qualify for yeah, it. That's my and, goal. And then yeah. this opportunity came along, <laughs> and I wanted to do it. So I, I, I took it on, and, and I'm excited about it. And the opportunity to to use my endeavor in sport for something even greater than myself, which I, I truly believe in. And like the service element is a big uh, aspect of the recovery community. So it's something that I feel strongly about. And of course it aligns kind of closely with what I do. And I, and I know Don and Hopper and how great a people they are and how passionate Don is about it too. So, um, so 310, you say? Yeah, that, sub okay, 310. Okay, okay. Now, now give us a so plug. My goal, so now my that goal, you're going to do sub 310, give us a plug. So my So my goal to do 310, it would be to qualify to run the following year, right, yep. as a qualified runner. So to run a 310, you have to average a 715 mile. So my yep. open marathon PR is a 324, which is like a 745 mile, and I did that in Providence a couple years ago. So I do believe that I'm capable of it, and I do feel like that it's going to be kind of something that I put on my calendar for the springtime to, to work towards after – I take a little reset five or six weeks after St. George to kind of let the body reset and re repair and kind of let the excitement again, build in my mind to, to put a goal out there and, and take something else on that's new. So that's I love what, it. All that's right. We'll put doing. that in the notes. Sick. Best of luck. And uh, yeah, dude, it's been fun. If people have followed this over the past six years, it's been it's, fun. It's sharing, been, a ride. It's been yeah, shun, yeah. Fun, fun sharing your ride and things you said years ago, yeah. you've gone and done. Uh, so I'm going to go back too. you say now that you've made it to the pinnacle of the sport, like you're going to like, I swear, like I said it earlier in the, in the conversation, but like one of my biggest takeaways is how motivated I am to be even like a better athlete. And I do want to go back eventually. I don't know if it'll be this year or next year. Again, like I have to, I, I do try to take into consideration my well, you, family and everything yeah, I was yeah. like to go every year is a lot. But so I'm thinking I might try to qualify in 2023 for 2024 and go back in 2024. And kind of have a, a second crack at it with a with a proper build up and, and some some good fitness going into it. And now that I have an experience on the course to kind of know what's coming for me, so uh, I'm excited to have that kind of goal on the on the horizon far out too. So well, you have a good you have a good uh, a good record of uh, accomplishing the goals you say on the podcast. So yeah. I feel good uh, about that uh, one. So three ten, and I'm going to go back and rip it up. <laughs> so that's that. Cool. All right, dude. All right, Pat. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. All right.